The trade deadline has come and gone. The Maple Leafs squad is as is, and Dave and I will talk about that and their loss to the Vancouver Canucks on today's edition of Locked On Leafs. Your Locked On Maple Leafs, your daily podcast on the Toronto Maple Leafs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the March 6th edition of the Locked On Leafs podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's brother on TSN's Overdrive and TSN 1050's Leafs Lunch. Joining me, it's my co-host, Dave Morissuti from Sportsnet, also a writer for the NHLPA. Locked On Leafs, a daily Maple Leafs-centric podcast. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also check us out on YouTube now as well. That's Locked On Leafs on YouTube. Hit subscribe. We got new videos, new content, new podcasts coming out to you guys five days a week, each and every morning, Monday through Friday. So make sure that you're subbed up and uh, locked on to Locked On Leafs. Um, so officially, this is this is the squad, right? I mean, I suppose Matthew Nyes could get added in at some point, but the trade deadline has come and gone, Dave, and this is what we got going forward. This is the team that. Uh, will try and lead the Maple Leafs to the promised land for the first time since 1967. How are we feeling? Uh, well, I mean, considering all the areas that Kyle Dubas addressed, I think he did as much as he could. Could he have made different moves here and there? Sure. But I think he understood exactly what this team needed, and he... Out of all the GMs, like there weren't many that did what Kyle Dubas did. Maybe the closest, maybe Don Sweeney. Other than that, I think Dubas was probably the most active GM at this trade deadline. And you got to give him props. He's doing whatever he can to put this team, you know, get that team over the hump. Yeah, absolutely. And and in terms of like grading it, I, I think I... I would reserve uh, the right to say, let me wait on it, obviously. Like, it's it's incomplete. Let's see how it all shakes out, right? In our minds, it looks like it's great. On paper, yeah, they've added a, a bunch of new guys. They've added some studs and Ryan O'Reilly, which suffered an injury over the weekend. We'll get to that in just a moment. Um, and they also added to the back end a lot. You know, a top four guy, McCabe, some death pieces, and Shannon Gustafson. So they added, a, you know, a lot. Not to mention Noel Achari also coming into the fix um or coming into the mix along with Sam Lafferty as well in the bottom six so like there were six new additions which is a lot and you know you can kind of look at it and say like Toronto very much changed their identity midway through the season right like at some point there was a discussion that was had within upper management that said look the team that's constructed as is like this is a regular season team and you know it's gotten us to this point where we're second in the, in the Atlantic and going to coast into a playoff spot once again, but is it going to be good enough to win in the playoffs? And ultimately it sounds as though the answer to that question was no by the group. And they decided to go out and add the pieces they feel should be able to do that with these players. Again, incomplete is what will rate it just because we got to see, uh, you know, if it shakes out exactly as is uh, before we kind of get into the loss to Vancouver over the weekend, um, let's put a bow on on the Leafs portion of the Detroit deadline, I suppose. Um, 
there was the injury, I suppose, to Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, injured his hand in that game. We'll, we'll kind of set that to the side for now. We'll touch on that. But I'm curious, Dave, if there was a player that was brought in who you think uh, – who will make the most impact for Toronto? Do you see it being O'Reilly? Could it be Jake McCabe? Do you think it's one of these depth pieces? You know, who's a, a player you expect to, to really elevate their game and help the Maple Leafs down the stretch and into the postseason? Well, I was going to say Ryan O'Reilly. Um, I mean, we don't know his situation right now, but he, he to me, is is one because he's been there. He's done it before. He has won. He knows what it takes to win. He, he kind of – it felt like he was the main target for Dubas from – you know, his trade deadline plan and then everything else kind of fell into place as he Dubas went away, like along his way. I, I just think he 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 provides a different mix to this Ford group that that the Leafs just were were needed. It was it was it was something that once he got here and once you saw what he provided, you're just like, yeah, this is something the Leafs had sorely needed. Uh Jake McCabe would have been like he's a close second to me because they don't have a Jake McCabe. I at any in any part of the organization do the Leafs have? Oh yeah, you know, put he's he's willing to go in there and throw some throw some bombs if he has to, lay some hits. He did with Tyler Myers right early? Like there was that big hit on John Tavares, and Jake McCabe says, "Ah, not to my captain." You know, went and and, and fired up the boys early. I mean, Tyler Myers, that's a big dude, big dude to be throwing bombs with. Yeah, and. You know, at first I didn't like the hit on Tavares. Like you don't like the hit regardless. Then seeing it again, it's like, okay, it wasn't exactly as dirty as some people may have been making it out to be, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, people say every, I've seen so many times where players have to stick up themselves for clean hits. If you're going to do it, do it with your captain, do it with the guy who is going to be targeted by these, by the opposing team. They're going to go after the Tavares's, the, the Matthews, the Marners. So you're going to need someone to help and step up in those situations. And let's face it. That's why guys like McCabe were brought in there. Guys like Achari were brought in there. Guys like Luke Shen. When those hits occur, they're expected now to do something about it. Right? So it was good to see him uh, definitely stick up for his teammate there. Yeah, I think you're you're 100% bang on. Like Those are the two guys who are going to make the most impact. Those are the guys who are going to play the most, obviously. Yeah. Ryan O'Reilly, whether that's as, as a top six guy or, or if they decide to go three centers and they decide to you know spread the wealth down the middle. Uh, either way, he's going to definitely get the most uh, ice time among all the forwards that were brought into the fold. And then Jake McCabe is, is going to be a top four staple and probably – you know, on that shutdown pair with TJ Brody. It seems like early they're looking to really see if that could be their shutdown pair, their version of, you know, what Muzzin and Brody did last year, right? That's why they brought in McCabe to replace Muzzin. So um, I think both of those guys certainly will be big factors in uh, the the success or lack thereof, I guess, of what happens with this team going forward. Um, did you hear... I know you did, but I'm asking this kind of rhetorically. Did you hear Elliot Friedman said that uh, Toronto apparently had talks with San Jose about Eric Carlson? That was intriguing. Intriguing on many, many counts. One is when did these talks occur? At what point heading into the trade deadline did they occur? I found the timing of it, I would like to have known that. And the other thing, too, is 
how in the world do you even make the salaries work in a trade like that? Dude, I have no idea. When I heard that, I'm like, how? How? Because from all reports that I've seen is they weren't really willing to retain a whole lot of money. A few million bucks, but it's not like they're willing to retain 50%. So you still have to find a way to probably get like seven, eight million dollars in cap. Because it's not just this season. Like Ryan Riley, you were able to find double retention there because you were able to find a team to retain only one year of the remaining salary. Not, not only that, it was like a quarter of the year. It ended up being something in the range of like uh, $300,000 or something like that. Like it was nothing. It was peanuts in, in you know NHL terms. Whereas Eric Carlson, you're retaining for like four more years at millions of dollars. That's yeah. uh, there's not a whole lot of teams that are going to be willing to do something like that. You're not going to find a double retention on that one either. So that that certainly would have probably meant there was some some money going out the other way as well. So that's intriguing that there were discussions that were had, but it obviously never really did go far, never came to fruition. And they ended up bringing in uh, Ryan O'Reilly and Jake McCabe instead, along with, um, you know, the other cast uh, that, that did come in. I just did, it did uh, kind of perk my ears a little bit when I did hear that on Hockey Night Canada, that there were talks between Dubas and Mike Greer about uh, Eric Carlson. And that would have been one hell of a bombshell if that thing went through. All right, Dave. Let's uh, let's let's take a quick break. When we get back, let's get into the Saturday night loss to the Vancouver Canucks, four-one. Not only lose on the scoreboard, but also lost Ryan O'Reilly to injury. Matthews ended up leaving the game for a little bit. He returned. We'll chat about all of that and what we saw in that game, and then uh, we'll also give our final thoughts from the deadline as a whole as well. The big winners, big losers. Anything surprise you? We'll kind of put a bow on the deadline from a league perspective after that as well. But first, Dave, how about a word from one of our show sponsors? Yep. It's a product that I use every day, Athletic Greens. If you're somebody that wants to improve their health in many different aspects and don't like to take all these different pills and supplements that people are recommending to you, then why not try and get an all-in-one solution? So what is this stuff with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of those things. I am a person of simplicity. I want to remember, you know, every morning I take that one scoop of Athletic Greens, put it into a convenient bottle that they give you with uh if you order their whole pack and it's simple you just drink it and you already start to feel some of the benefits of what these products can do for you it's lifestyle friendly whether you eat keto paleo vegan dairy free or gluten-free it contains less than one gram of sugar no gmos no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good it supports better sleep quality and recovery supports mental clarity and alertness it's the one thing with the best things athletic greens uses the best of the best products based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third 
party testing. And to top it off, it costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. It's cheaper than getting all the different pills and supplements yourself. You're investing in all-in-one nutritional insurance. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Welcome back into the Locked On Leafs podcast. It's Mike DiStefano and Dave Morissuti. We got a daily podcast coming to you guys each and every day. Oh, look at that. My Yeti was not actually turned on. Hold on one second. There we go. Now the sound should be a little bit clearer, a little bit better. Man, I hate when I did that. I noticed it halfway through, so at least we didn't go through the whole time. So, and this is also proof that I do have a mic, by the way, because clearly those who think that I don't have a mic, because you got the the professional looking boom, mine's over here and off to the screen, but I do have one. And you can tell based on the difference in sound that you just witnessed, just goes to show that I do have a professional mic. It's just not chilling in front of my face like Dave's is here. Anyways, no one cares about my setup. Uh, people do care, though, what we saw happen Saturday night in Vancouver. What was that? The fifth, sixth straight loss that the Leafs have had in Vancouver. They just can't go into BC and pick up a win. And uh, once again, they, they get dusted by the Canucks. Bubble Demko came to play. That guy was unbelievable that night. Like Toronto easily could have scored three, four, five goals. And Bubble Demko, Thatcher Demko was just unbelievable. Like I don't want to say they got goalied because they kind of fell apart a little bit in the third period, but that's that's about as close as you can get. The way that that dude played. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, you know, like I, I, their effort in the first and second period were pretty good, pretty good, and then third period all fell apart. And that's what happens when a team gets good goaltending behind them. They can kind of weather the storm that the other team is going is throwing at them and mask some of the issues that the Canucks were dealing with. And then you take advantage of mistakes. And that's exactly what the Canucks did. You saw it a little bit in the second period where the Leafs were kind of, I was not going to say totally asleep at the wheel, but they kind of left their foot off the gas. Canucks were starting to build some momentum. And I feel like that kind of led the way for the third period to go where it was. But the Canucks don't do what they do in that game without Thatcher Demko doing what he did. And, like, I don't think people really understand what the absence of Thatcher Demko did to the Canucks this season. Like he's been out how long? Like months? Oh, since like November. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. When you have Connor Delia, Spencer Martin, and there was an, I know there was another guy that they brought. Archer Seelov's uh, rookie. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure if the Leafs were were going up against any of those other goaltenders. We're talking about a different result in this game. Like people forget that Dr. Debko is a good goalie. And, you know, he's coming into a new situation in, in Vancouver than the one he left all those months ago. Yeah. I mean, that was a one one game in the third period. Like that's yeah. a very winnable game for 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 the Canucks. And then, you know, you, you take a power play, you're thinking we can go up two one here 
and take all the momentum and try and kill the atmosphere inside that building. And all of a sudden, they give two shorthanded goals in, what was it, 40 seconds? And then they're down 3-1 instead of being up 2-1 to uh, on that exact power play that we're referring to. Like, that that's what really took the wind out of the sails for, for Vancouver or for Toronto. You give up those, those two shorties and you're down 3-1. And the way that Demko was playing that night, you weren't going to get another goal. That was he was going to lock it down, and they locked it down after that. And and you kind of knew by mid third period that game was pretty much going to be over, and uh, and obviously it was. Um, Matt Murray made his return to the net, made it all the way through morning skate, all the way through the pregame skates, through the anthem, and gosh darn it, all the way through the full sixty minutes of that hockey game, Dave. Matt Murray uh, was in there, although he did vacate that weirdly. Like, why did Toronto? They were down four-one. Typically, when you're down by three, you don't pull your goalie. They pulled the goalie, and then like when they realized that they weren't going to get a goal, like after a minute or something like that, they decided an on-the-fly change and put Murray back onto the ice. Did you see that? Like, what the yeah, hell did that? The the coaching staff. It was a very that was a very weird game. In terms of the way things were done there, I, I, I didn't even realize Matt Murray went back into the net until it was like mentioned on the broadcast, and I'm like, why? Like, like you know what? Like usually when you're down three with that much time left, you're not even really gonna bother. Maybe you like try it for like a minute, and if it doesn't work out, next stoppage, you put the goalie back in, or you usually will get scored on in those situations, and then right. You're putting the goalie back in anyways. I don't think I've ever seen it happen where a team just decides, yeah, no, this ain't happening. We're going to just throw the guy back in net. Just such a weird thing. But I'll give I'll give Matt Murray credit. He there was a lot said about his injuries and all this stuff. He gave them a chance. He gave, oh, like, yeah, it was a one one game in the third period, man. One one game in the third period. If, if you've only allowed one goal through. Uh, through two periods of play and through like the first five, six or minutes of that third period, like you're legitimately 45 minutes into the game. You only surrendered one goal. That should be more than enough for this talented Leafs offense against one of the worst teams in the NHL. Um, this loss ain't on Matt Murray. I know you look at the box score and you see allowed four goals on the night, but he was left out to dry. I mean, you, you look at the the two power or the two shorthanded goals. Those are odd man rushes. And then, you know, like the, there was a, a tip went, went off of Justin Hall's knee to open the scoring, and that was one that was going wide, and it bounced off the ice and went in. So I don't think you can look at Matt Murray and, and say he had a poor performance. If anything, I thought he actually had a good performance. And that one save that he made, that pad stop, like I thought that was going to be a goal. I was like, that's a goal for sure. And he made that. And I literally went full like O-Dog meme. Remember the O-Dog meme like yeah. from when the Freddie Anderson? Yeah, Freddie Anderson makes that save. We're just like, what? That was me on the couch watching. I'm like, oh, wh- where, who is this guy? Matt Murray. And then I tweeted it out and said, like, that's a big confidence boost. That turned out to not necessarily be that when you look at the final score. But at the time, it was, I think, still a scoreless game when he did make that save. Um, and then somebody, I thought, very funnily, actually, cheekily t- tweets me back and says, so he pulls off a big move like that. Stellar, stellar athleticism. And then he farts in pregame and misses two weeks. What the hell? I thought that was kind of a kind of a funny, funny uh, little little dig there. But I do got to give props to to Matt Murray. I thought that he did 
did play well despite giving up uh, four goals and just pray that this dude stays healthy because, again, they, they didn't go out and address the goaltending position at the deadline. Kyle Dubas is rolling with Sam Snuff, Matt Murray, and Joe Wall. Those are the three dudes who uh, will be playing playoff games for this team, preferably just Samsonov and Murray, I guess. Uh, if you're, if you're, you know, Leafs management, you're hoping that they stay healthy and stay, uh, they're good enough to, uh, to do that. But so far it was a, a good performance. I suppose it's only one game. He's got to replicate this over and over and over again to try and earn trust back and stay on the ice. But uh, I guess it was, it was at least a good sign to see him get out there, get through the full 60, and make a couple of nice saves and, and you know, moving around a little bit there to make some big stops too. Look good while doing it. He did. He certainly did. A um, couple other notables from the game. I guess we can get into uh, the, the rough stuff. Uh, we, we talked about Tavares taking a couple big hits. Nice to see teammates, you know, getting uh, getting involved after that. Um, Austin Matthews took a slap shot to the inner knee. He left uh, the game. He did end up returning midway through the second period, but what was your reaction when you saw him take that and he was down for a while and then hobble slowly down the tunnel and then did not return to start the second period? I know that I did not feel good in my gut about it. What about you? Yeah, I didn't like the fact that you didn't see him on the bench to start the period. We yeah. actually had we had a mutual friend at the game. Uh, our buddy Jose was at the oh, game. Oh, he went? He ended up going to the game? He ended up going to the game. He messages me. He's on Hawaii? Uh, well, he, he was in Hawaii. Then he could somehow – then he ended up in Vancouver. And okay. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. It's he, Anyways. <laughs> but he, um, he was at the game. And so when, when Matthews went down – I text them and I said, yell at Matthews to get up because this is not good. (laughs) Can you just tell Matthews to get up? He's like, yeah, I did. So he, but yeah, the fact that he wasn't out there to start the period that that's usually not a good sign. And I'm wondering if the injury to Ryan O'Reilly could have played a factor into that. Actually, did it happen? No, it happened. It happened. He came back before O'Reilly left. But I, I, did, but I think also I wonder the other thing I wondered too was does the thing that about the Leafs only having 11 forwards also play a factor into that? You know, yeah. and Matthew's thinking it puts the team in a really tough spot if he's not out there and it's a close game, right? But I mean, it's <sighs> a really season game too. The Leafs are usually pretty cautious when it comes to anything like whether it's a knee concussion or just yeah. something that can get worse. I wouldn't buy that. I, I don't think it had anything to do with it. it it's a matter of, you, are you sure you're good to go? And he said, yep, I'm good. And and away he went. I, You know, they definitely took a look at the knee and, and noticed like, okay, there's nothing wrong here. No structural damage, no cracks, no fractures, no nothing. You're good. Just a little stinger. Um, and then I'm assuming it just took that long to get, you know, the, the imaging back. And uh, then they realize, all right, you're you're good to go. And it was, you know, a few minutes into the, the second period. I don't think it had anything to do with how many forwards they had and then, you know, injuries already. Because like you said, they've been so cautious, in particular with Austin Matthews and his injuries, that uh, I, I doubt they would look at it and say, hey, we need a body. You got to get out there. That just that doesn't sound like what the Maple Leafs have been all about this year and, and a game against Vancouver, a non-playoff team, I, I doubt that would have been uh, 
that would have been the thought process there. I think he just means he's, which is a good thing. He came back and, and he was good to go. Um, Ryan O'Reilly, on the other hand, opposite took, uh, took, uh, uh, got a injured his hand, um, and was seen with splints on his fingers after the game. And he did not return, however. So Ryan O'Reilly did not return. Yeah, that had, he left at some point midway through the second period um, and then didn't return and didn't get any information post-game. They said, uh, we'll know more on practice Monday. So there was no practice uh, yesterday. It was a travel day back um, going to or the Jersey. They're going to Jersey. So they'll have a practice in New Jersey uh, Monday, and, and there will be an update there. So not sure exactly what's going on with Ryan O'Reilly, but that's uh, also not a good sign of him not returning for that game with a splint on the finger. You don't like to see that. That said, if it's just a bone injury, that is something that can heal with time and, and shouldn't be a lingering thing. Like maybe he's out, there is some sort of timeline, and he misses some games, but shouldn't be something that lingers, which I guess is – it's not best case scenario, but it's not worst case scenario. I wanted to blame my friend a little bit for this Ryan O'Reilly injury because when the Mat- when Matthews went down, and a friend of mine who played hockey at the collegiate level, he's like, ah, you know what? Like, if you're going to get hit with a shot, that's probably not too bad of a spot where Matthews got hit because usually it's just like a stinger and you come back. And then what does he say right after that? Usually the worst place you can get hit by a shot is in the hand. And then maybe like 10 minutes later, we see the Ryan O'Reilly thing. And I'm just like, you jinxed it. You you just put that, you put that out there in the universe and look what happened. Ryan O'Reilly gets hit in the hand and it's like, he turned into that shot. Like if you watch it, he turns into it and it hits him. You can literally, it's right in the hand and it's the worst place you can get hit by a shot. We've seen it many, many times where players break a finger or something. So yeah, you're just hoping that it is a broken finger. I think it's Wayne Simmons had the similar thing happen to him in the bubble. If I'm not mistaken, that's when it happened. And, uh, you know, he missed, he missed some time. I remember Tavares broke his finger in 2019 and he missed like seven games because of it. So you're just hoping that worst case or best case, he's you know, not going to be out for the rest of the year. And you're just hoping that it's just something that, as you said, can heal with time. Yeah, I did see, you know, like that doctor who tweets about sports injuries and hockey, Dr. Hardis Graywall. So he tweeted saying, obviously concern is a broken finger or a hand bone, lots of nuances around bones and and broken type of, uh, and the type of break to determine the management plan timeline, but rough timeline can be, around four to four or so weeks. So depending on exactly where the injury is, he also did say, uh, followed up today when he saw the photo of the splint. So Riley's left second fingers in a splint can be used for a multitude of reasons, but yesterday only touched on the fracture. He could also have a tendon and or ligament injury and MRI next to assess finger tendons and ligaments and then determine if he needs surgery or not. So that was his follow up. So I'm assuming that's information that we will figure out tomorrow um, or today, I guess, when everyone's listening to this on Monday. So uh, hopefully, again, it's it's not serious and doesn't need surgery and something that is only like a couple of weeks and he can return, get a few games in before the playoffs and then be 100% good to go and have his, his full legs under him as well come playoff time. Although with a hand injury, you can skate 
during to stay in shape, I suppose. So should have his legs, but still the, uh, it's, it's, it's not great. And a guy who plays with a heavy stick, like Ryan O'Reilly kind of need to have full, you know, full use of your extremities. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Yeah. You don't, I mean, you just would rather him not have to miss any time at all, but. Well, I think that's going to happen. Just hopefully it's not too much time. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully it's not another Nick Foligno like situation where it lingers and you're. Yeah, again, right. Bone, bone injury as opposed to like tissue, tissue and like, right. So like, well, like soft tissue injuries when it's, you know, a back or, or you know, hamstrings and stuff as opposed to a bone, which can just heal and, and you're good to go. Uh, but again, we'll get that update for you guys and we'll chat about it on tomorrow's show. Um, let's give, uh, let's put a bow on the deadline though and talk about what happened around the league and maybe how that impacts the Maple Leafs go through our big winners and losers. And if anything was surprising to either of us, but before we get into that, let me tell you guys about Bill Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want uh, all the fat or calories, you got to try a Bilt Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know that my goal is to eat a little bit healthier this year. If you're like me and you want to eat healthier but don't want compromised taste, then, man, you've got to try a Bilt Bar. With Bilt, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious that when you you won't even think that they're good for you. It's perfect for that New Year's resolution, and what makes Bilt Bar so good for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. They come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond. I'm really not sure how Bilt does it, but these bars taste like candy bars while only maintaining uh, amazing macros. There's only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't even need to wait around to get your box. For years, I've been talking about ordering Bilt at Bilt.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy. Grab yourself a box of Bilt Bars. Uh, and if you're close to a Sam's Club, do the exact same thing. Grab a 13-bar box with our favorite flavors, our hip flavors, brownie batter, churro, and you can thank me later. Uh, you can also go to Bilt.com. Use the promo code uh, Locked On and receive 15% off your next purchase. Welcome back into Locked On Leafs. I'm Mike Stefano with Dave Morissuti. Um, so deadline day itself on Friday was definitely not as hype as the rest of the week was. I mean, the biggest trade of the day, I don't even know what it was. Like, to be honest, there wasn't really like John Klingberg late at the end, I guess, ended up getting dealt. Um, anything else surprise? You know, what was the biggest surprise from deadline day in particular the fact that James Van Riemsdyk didn't get dealt. That, to me, was the biggest surprise of the deadline. And that the Detroit Red Wings were the team that were, like, closer, closest to making a deal done. Like, yeah, what was Philly doing? I don't know, but it, it reminds me of, was he with Philly at the time? Maybe it was a Nashville or Jersey. But remember Wayne Simmons got dealt to Buffalo at the deadline when they weren't a playoff team? It was like, why did why are they buying? Why are they giving up draft picks to go and get Wayne Simmons? Yeah. And it was essentially just like, hey, you know, they if if no one else is willing to pay the price and then they are, you know, you bring in a, a veteran to help with your young group, like 
still need some players and some veterans around. So maybe that was the thought process there for Detroit. But the fact that it fell through and he ends up staying put, doesn't go anywhere, and now has to whittle away in Philadelphia for the rest of the year. I mean, yeah, that was a big uh, a big letdown, I would say. He was number one on TSN's trade bait board. After all the moves that were made throughout the week, going into trade deadline day, it was him up at the dippy top, and he didn't get moved. Big shock for me. And the fact that... Um... That that Fletcher Chuck Fletcher was just like, yeah, we just the prices on the market was just like, were many things out there in terms of like value, and like the Tampa Bay Lightning spent a bazillion picks for Tanner Janot. You couldn't get anything, anything. You don't need to get the moon and back for JVR, but get something that's going to help your team that is in dire straits in terms of trying to figure it out, figure out what direction they're trying to go into yeah i'll say this and and i think I, I said this on overdrive as well the only other thing i could think about is a the move of detroit took up all the time and then they once that fell through they really didn't have a time to actually do anything else and, and draw paperwork to get a, another deal done that's possible but also if, if you don't like you're not giving them up for a sixth or seventh round pick no because ultimately and, and i'll tell you why it, it's because you don't want to be known as the guy who gets taken advantage of, and all you have to do is is wait out, and eventually you're going to tip your hand. Eventually you're going to move this guy, and you're not going to end up getting the prices that you want for your player. And I'll use an example that's that's close to the city here, right? Remember when Kyle Lowry was in his final year of the contract and everyone thought that Masai Ujiri was going to deal him, but Masai didn't, and at the end he said, look, there just wasn't the offer I thought was appropriate for Kyle Lowry, and, and I'm not just going to move him just to move him like I – you know, I, I need to stand firm or else or GMs are going to take advantage of me. So I feel like maybe that could have been part of the situation, too, where, you know, because I know you say just get something, even if it's a six-round pick. I don't know. I think that you could hold on to him and then later on, you know, a year or two down the road, you know, GMs will think, all right, this guy's business. He's willing to hold on to his players. He did that before. We'll pay the fourth-round pick or the third-round pick that he wants. So, that's the only, you know, that's my glass half full approach to maybe what uh, what was going on with Chuck Fletcher, but still tough to see him uh, see him remain a Philadelphia Flyer. Um, but outside of that, like getting anything else surprise you? Carolina didn't really do anything. Yeah, Carolina was like the team that I thought was going to have the biggest deadline. Ended up having one of the more quieter ones, considering they had the cap space from the Max Pacioretty. Uh, yeah. Salary going LTIR. I thought I'm pretty sure the owner said that they were going to try to, you know, be players at the trade deadline. So when the owner puts that out there, it doesn't get done. Like that puts pressure on the GM. You know, there's pressure in Carolina to take that next step. They're not exactly going to be satisfied if they bow out of the playoffs early, right? They want to be in the Stanley Cup Finals. So. That's a team that I think that there's going to be pressure on that group to perform the playoffs, and they didn't exactly get all the help that a lot of the other teams in the East did. Like, look at what New Jersey did. Look at what the Rangers did. Look at what the Leafs and even the Lightning and Bruins made some sort of significant acquisition, and the Carolina Hurricanes are like, yeah, we'll get Shane Goss to spare. Doesn't really screen to me as big hunting. Yes, he pull your RV will make his way there once his visa situation. Oh, yes. 
goes through and he, he can't wait to show them his forechecking. Yeah. He yep. actually said that. And I was like, I, I know the Oilers screwed you up, Jesse, but you know, you can do a little bit more than four check in the NHL. No, he's a four checker. Now that's what he is. He's a four checker. He didn't, he forgot how to score goals and now he's just going to four check guys. That's, that's what his career is all about. But yeah, the, they, to me, definitely, um, you know, on the, in, in the, in the losers category as a team that I expected to do more and, and just didn't, um, I thought Kevin Hayes would have been a good kind of add for them out of, out of Philadelphia. Like they weren't going anywhere again. And maybe you add that big center, that second line center that that team kind of needs. That said, they did absolutely demolish the Tampa Bay Lightning six nothing. So, thank you for doing that. Thanks for that from uh, Leafs Nation, Carolina. So maybe they don't like. I mean, this is a team that's pretty stacked as is, and they felt like we don't really need to add. So we're not going to give up picks and and futures we we got the team and we feel comfortable that uh these these guys will get it done perhaps that that was ultimate they were in on meyer because there was the report that they were heavy in on meyer and then uh they ended up not being able to match i guess new jersey's offer um but then they didn't really have a backup plan i guess for whatever reason but why they couldn't just go and, and pick up jbr for a fourth round pick i, I don't know uh, to me, that probably would have made sense, right? You replaced Max Pacioretty. Uh, uh, I mean, JVR is a very similar player, right? Veteran power forward winger, veteran power forward winger. Uh, I'll, I'll say this for all the, I mean, uh, talking about that lightning win, you see that they're like, they held the lightning to no shots in the second period. It was they're like the lightning were the only team this season to not record a shot on goal in a period. Are you serious? I saw they only had 14 shots in the game. I didn't realize that they held them. They had shot four shots, four. four shots in the first, zero in the second, and then 10 in the third. Holy smokes. That is a waxing. The, yeah. the day after getting called out by your coach, too. Yeah, where they sat the top line, and that was the response. And Vasilevsky was in net for the game against Carolina after he didn't play against Buffalo. Yeah, so that's a, that's six goals on Vasilevsky, which clearly like that rarely happens. One of them also was just a brutal giveaway on Vasilevsky's part. He did the good old, you know, if you're a goaltender, tend the goal, Steve Angle style. Mm. Vasilevsky did one of those. So it was a little satisfying to watch that game after what happened to the Leafs against the Canucks, although it was Carolina doing it. It wasn't like they were lo- they losing to, you know, an inferior team. So, um yeah, it's kind of a weird. I, I'll say this: Carolina, they maybe they just also feel like they didn't want to make a, a trade for the sake of making a trade because you know the team's been doing well. So I mean, clearly, so I'll give them credit on that part. But yeah, I'm still a little disappointed that they didn't try to at least make one more addition. How about Kakaniemi? A five-point performance after all this chatter about them needing to go out and get themselves a number two center. Kakaniemi, five points against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Not too shabby. Not too shabby out of him. Um, Gosses Bear, also three-point night, scored his first as uh, as a Carolina Hurricane. So pretty pretty solid. After, after I said that that's the only move that they made, that appeared to be the good move. because Dude, Ghost is having a good year out in, out in Arizona. I was, I was actually surprised that they only got a third-round pick for him. 
Like I thought some team was definitely going to pay up like at least a second and a prospect or something, but well, technically they got a first round pick from Philly in that deal. So taking him, yeah, take him on. So they, second, you know, I think it was a second, but yeah, they still got a, de- a decent draft pick to take him and then flip him for another pick. So they did quite well in that regard. That's true. That is very, very true. Um, all in all though, Dave, I used to bring it back to uh, to a Toronto perspective. When you look at what the Leafs did, and you look at what everyone else did around the 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 league, and maybe even the Eastern Conference, more specifically, um, how closer are they to being Stanley Cup contenders? I think they're close. I I want to see how because they when they make all these changes, I want to see how it all fits together because they've been on. Let me rephrase the question. Let me rephrase the question. <clears throat> Did they close the gap on Tampa? Yes. Did they close the gap on Boston? I think they closed the gap a bit, but I don't think it's closed entirely just because they could fix the bottom six. They could fix the depth on the blue line. But you're, the difference against the Bruins and Leafs is going to be which top players are going to win it out for their teams. Is it going to be Boston's group or is it going to be the Leafs group? So in that regard, Boston's – Top guys have been better. You know, March Marner's having a good season. David Pasternak's having a good season. Marshawn, Bergeron, like, that's where I think it's going to be. That and in the net. You know, can Jer- can uh, Linus Allmark put the Bruins over the top in the playoffs? He's done it, showing it in the regular season. He hasn't played in the playoffs yet. So totally different pressure, totally different animal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. The problem is they they also added at the deadline, yes, right? Like getting Bertuzzi and Orlov. Like Orlov's got like eight points in like three or four games since going there. It's insane. They just the rich get richer, and they add it to that already unbelievable team. Um, so it's did they widen the gap a little bit? But then Boston kind of also made the like I would say so. Like Boston was here, Toronto was here, right? Toronto went up a little bit to widen it, but then Boston went up a little bit too. Yeah. So do they widen it maybe a little bit, but uh, I think there's still a little gap there in Toronto. They're, as you said, it's going to come down to their best players being the best players if they want to beat Boston, but they're going to have to get through Tampa first. And, And I do think they did what's necessary where on paper, I do feel much more comfortable about with them taking on Tampa Bay Lightning this year than it did a year ago and in years past, um, especially after seeing the nonsense that went down today. Also, Victor Hedman went out with an injury also in that game. So that's another little storyline to kind of keep an eye on if you are the, uh, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning. And at some point, that team's just it got to run into a wall at some point. And I think it's about this time last year where they did run into a wall and were saying, hey, maybe this is it. And then they obviously caught their second wind and beat Toronto. And game six and game seven, Vasilevsky went full Vasilevsky on us. And uh, we know how that ended up with them riding it all the way to a Stanley Cup final for a third straight year. But at some point, you just got to think, right? Law of averages. You got to think that they get tired and run into a wall and – you know, his last couple of games, maybe, maybe this is the start of it. Uh, all right, buddy. Good stuff today. We will come back tomorrow. Hopefully we have more answers on 
the situation with Ryan O'Reilly. We can fill you guys in on that. Uh, but until then, we'd like to thank you for listening and supporting the show. You can subscribe to the Locked On Leafs podcast on all podcasts and platforms, including up on YouTube. We say receive daily Leafs content. Follow myself on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow Dave at D underscore Morasuti. We'll be back with another episode for you guys tomorrow. But until then, keep it locked right here on Locked On Leafs.